Well, I want to welcome you on what is the perfect Texas weather day. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Perfect. Just absolutely perfect. I was walking down from our, our offices this, this morning and I was just thinking, man, today is perfect. So if you are watching online and you are not here, this is the day you should have been here because we only have like three of these a year, right? Just perfect, perfect Texas weather days. Uh, it's a beautiful day outside. Appreciate you being here. If we have not met, uh, my name is David and I serve as a senior pastor here and it's uh, great to welcome you who are here at Cornerstone Service as well as those who are upstairs uh, in the cafe that this morning. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open that to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. If you didn't bring your Bible with you, uh, in the blue Bibles that we have in all of our worship spaces, you can find John 9 on page 1664. And I'd love for you to turn there with me as we uh, share the next message in this series, a series that is based on a singular conviction, uh, which is our belief that we all have a story worth sharing. We all have a story worth sharing. And in each message of the series, if you've been here, you've probably figured this out already, we've been looking at one of the other reasons that we don't believe this. Uh, we, we, we think, well, some people have a story worth sharing, but some doesn't mean all, and all obviously includes you. And for many of us, that's a struggle, that's a challenge to see our lives and our story as something that is worth sharing with others. Now, last week, if you were here, Pastor Shea talked about a really critical part of this series, the idea of moving forward in our story. Uh, the idea that we all have a tendency to get stuck in our lives. We lose ourselves along the way. We lose sight of the purpose that was guiding our life, the vision we may have had of what our life was going to be. We, we find ourselves walking in the wilderness, lost. And, and part of understanding the worth of our story is having the courage to keep moving forward in our story. And he shared a great illustration of that. Uh, he, he showed you this coffee mug, which was found on a shelf tucked away in a closet uh, here on our campus. Uh, still had the grime in it from the last time it had been uh, used. Uh, and he was talking about this as an expression of, of again, what happens in our life. We just, we just get lost. And that had additional meaning for me, I want you to know, because I was watching online and as soon as he held that up, I said, there's my mug, there's my coffee mug. Because unlike Pastor Shea, I'm actually very sentimental about my coffee mugs. I have, I'm pretty sure I have more than 100 coffee mugs, which is a story for another day, okay? I'll explain that later. But I bought this mug because of what it says on the backside of the mug, which Shay shared with you last week. I wanna share it with you again. It's this question, what will the world miss if you don't tell your story? That's really the question that this series is meant to challenge all of us with. What will the world miss if you don't tell your story? So we're gonna continue looking at that question as we continue moving through the Gospel of John. We're in John 9 today, looking at another encounter that an individual has with Jesus. So look there with me, beginning at verse one, it says this. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Jesus replied, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So notice with me real quick that this is something we see happening all throughout the Gospels. Uh, It's a consistent theme, people coming to Jesus to ask him questions. And in many of those instances, the individuals who are asking those questions are the adversaries of Jesus. They don't ask those questions out of a sincere desire to understand. They're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to get him to stumble over his words, to offer some sort of careless response. That happens over and over and over again. And this question sort of sounds like one of those questions. But, but note with me that it's the disciples of Jesus who ask this question. They ask out of a sincere desire to understand. They want to know, Jesus, who sinned? Was it, was it this man or was it his parents? What was it that, uh, which of these two options, that which one led to this man being born blind? And Jesus essentially says, your multiple choice question is flawed because neither one of those reasons are true. Look down at verse six. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. So let's just point out a few things that we learn here in this first part of the story. We learn that, that somehow between Jesus playing in the mud and placing it on this man's eyes and then him going and washing in the pool, somehow this man who has never been able to see, blind since birth, somehow he can now suddenly see. I don't know when in that process this, this, this occurred. We don't know what it was that, 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 that caused this to happen, but somehow he can now see. Second thing we learn is that there are people in the community who know him. John refers to them as his neighbors. There are people who know him. They know what he looks like, and they know all about the condition that he is in. These are people who, some of them may have known him his entire life, and yet when this moment happens, this neighbor all of a sudden becomes a stranger to them. Here's the third thing we we learn in this passage, uh, not only from the question that the disciples ask, but also from this sort of strange response from the community in which this man lives, that, that all of his life he'd been surrounded by people who'd made assumptions about him. Uh, Number one, they'd assume that there was a purpose behind his impairment. There was a reason why he was born the way that he was. There was a purpose behind his impairment and that his infirmity was his identity. That's who he was. He's the blind man, the one who sits and begs. Which is why when this change happens in his life, the people, again, who knew him, perhaps known him his entire life, they don't recognize him. 
and, and, and they're confused about what exactly has happened. They go so far, someone says, no, 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 he just really, really looks like him. They don't know how to respond to what has happened to this neighbor of theirs, the blind man who used to sit and beg. All of a sudden, he is for them someone he wasn't before. Uh, you may have heard me talk before about a particular book, uh, James Bryan Smith's book, The Good and Beautiful God. And if you've heard me mention that book before, here's how I often describe it. It is the second recommendation, second highest recommendation I would give to you uh, outside of the Bible. So read the Bible first, but the second book is this book, The Good and Beautiful God. Uh, Smith begins the book by talking about the power of story in our life. And particularly those stories that we tell ourselves about who God is and who we are. And how those stories that we tell ourselves, stories that are often informed by what others have said to us about who God is and who we are, how powerful those stories shape us and mold us into the people that we are today. Here's what he says in that opening section. He says, our stories once in place determine much of our behavior without regard as to whether those stories are either accurate or helpful. He continues, once these stories are stored in our minds, they stay there largely unchallenged until we die. And here is the main point. These narratives are running and often ruining our lives. So I want you to think for a minute about this man. And I want you to think about what it would have been like for him all of his life to be surrounded by people who had made these assumptions about his life. That there was a reason, there had to be a reason why this had happened to him. There was a purpose behind the impairment of his life that his identity was that he's the blind man. And as you think about the power of story in your own life and, and how you have been shaped by the words that have been spoken over your life, the expectations that others have created for you, the box that you've been given of what your life was meant to be and should be, I, I want us to think about that it's reasonable for us to assume that for this blind man that same thing was true. That just as we are also shaped by the understanding of what others have of us and the expectations they create of us, the assumptions they make about us, certainly it was true for him as well. And so in his life, he must have asked the question, why? Why was I born this way? Why did God do this to me? Who am I but this beggar, this blind man who doesn't really have any other place within, within this community. And if that's true, if, if, that's, if, if that same dynamic was present in, her, in his life, that's present in our life, then that means that Jesus performs more than one miracle here. He gives him the ability to see the world around him. He physically heals him. And, and a, a man who has been blind since birth is suddenly able to see the world around him. That's a miracle. But Jesus does more than that. Jesus, Jesus gives him the chance to see himself in a whole new way. Jesus gives him the chance to understand his identity and his life in a whole new way. Jesus gives him a new life. He gives him a new story. 
And even though, even though everyone around him doesn't recognize him, doesn't understand it, can't comprehend what has happened, this is the gift that Jesus has given to this man. The ability to see the world around him, but to also see himself in a brand new way. Now, this confusion of who this man is, it continues and it grows. And so what the community does is they essentially seek out a second opinion. So look at verse 13 with me. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. This is a bad thing. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight and so again he said here's what happened he put mud on my eyes uh, and I washed and now I see so again mud eyes wash see that's what happened some of the Pharisees said this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath but others asked how can a sinner perform such signs so they even the Pharisees they were divided on what had occurred Then they turned again to the blind man and said, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And he says, I don't know, he's a prophet. So what do they do next? They uh, they still don't believe that he's been blind and has received sight, so they pull the man's parents into the conversation. And they ask him, is this your son? Is this the one who was born blind? And what do mom and dad say? Well, We know he is our son, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. So ask him, he will speak for himself. And then jump down to verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. And he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I don't know the answer to your question. I don't know, I can't explain to you how it happened. Again, mud, eyes, wash, see. I don't know what happened in that. I don't know if it was the mud, I don't know if it was the saliva, I don't know if it was the water, I don't know what happened. Here, but here's what I can tell you, yesterday I couldn't see, and today I can. Yesterday, this, this, is, this is where I was, this is who I was. Today, this is where I am, and this is who I am. I'm a man who was born blind, but now has been given the opportunity to see. They want to know who did this for him. And and his response is, well, it's, it's it's the man named Jesus. Because here's another thing to think about. He didn't even get to see Jesus. He was blind. And he walked away to the pool before this miracle had occurred. He hadn't even seen Jesus. He didn't know all the answers to the questions that people were asking. All he knew was, I once was blind, but now I see. So I want you to hear this. You don't have to know the totality of your story. You don't have to know all the answers to every question that someone might ask. 
If you've experienced any change in your life, you, you don't even have to understand that in its fullness for yourself. You don't have to know the totality of your story, but you do have to seek out what is true about your story. And to know what is true about your story. Because if you've had an encounter with Jesus, if your life has been changed by Jesus, if you in encountering and understanding his love in a way that you had not before, if in response to that you said, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want you to be Lord of my life then Jesus has given to you the same miracle that he gave to this man. He has given you a new life and a chance to live a brand new story. This story, if that's happened in your life, is actually your story. That Jesus has made you brand new and he's given you a brand new story to live, a brand new future of what your life might be. But here's where I wanna challenge you a little bit, perhaps meddle a little bit, is with the idea that some of us don't know the worth of our story because we're still living someone else's story. We're still trying to shape and mold our lives according to the expectations of what others have had of us. The definition of ourselves that others have given to us. The box that, that, that we were meant to live in. How others have seen us and understood us. The, the old story of who we used to be. And, and what we end up doing is, is living a little bit of the new story and a little bit of the old story. And we sort of try to divide our life among the different aspects of our life because we're in some ways uncomfortable with living fully into the new story because we know how powerful this, this old story might be. And so here is my faith life. And when I'm in my faith life, this is who I am. And this is my work life. And when I'm in my work life, this is who I am. And, and then there's my personal life. And in my personal life, this is who I am. I'm, I'm all of these different people. I'm always trying to figure out the expectations around me and, and sort of fit myself into those expectations. I've, I've had this transformation, but then I went back to work. And I didn't know how to talk to anybody else about what had happened in my life. And, and, and maybe you struggle to, to implement that in your personal life. Maybe there's a person you are with your immediate family, but then there's this other person you become when you're sitting around the Thanksgiving dinner table. That may have hurt a little bit. Sorry about that. But you know what I mean? We try to live this divided life, one, one foot into the new story and one foot into the old story. And here's why that never works. Because in doing so, we're allowing a truth to sit right next to a lie. And some of those lies have been incredibly destructive in our life. And a truth can't sit next to a lie. Listen to what Psalm 86 says. Teach me, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart. Help me to live, in other words, fully into this new story. Not who I used to be. Not who others expect me to continue to be. 
but into this new story that you have given to me, this new life that you have offered me. Teach me, Lord, to rely fully on you. Give me an undivided heart so that I can live a holy life, a whole life, an undivided life. Now, if you do that, here's the warning. It's the same thing that we see happening here in John chapter 9. There will be people in your life who do not understand that. There will be people in your life who may even say, I like the old you better. Because in the new life, you may make decisions about things that you will or will not do that are different than the decisions that you made in the old life that you used to live. There may be people who say, I don't even recognize you anymore. It's actually a compliment, by the way. There will be people in your life who do not understand and there will be people in your life who may never understand. But the life of faith calls you to live fully into the new story that Jesus has given to you in every aspect of your life, in every decision of your life, in every relationship in your life. Lord, give me an undivided heart. Help me to live an undivided life. We all have a story worth sharing, not just some of us, all of us, and all includes you. And I may not have convinced you of that yet, but there's two more weeks of this series. So we'll see if we can get there. But just to help you maybe move you a little bit further along, I wanna invite you to hear a story today. I wanna invite you to listen and watch a story of the Hanlon family. We had Mariah, and then two years later, we had Elijah. So in 2008, um, I had a two-year-old and a six-week-old, and Brad came home on Valentine's Day and said he was going to Iraq. I got off of active duty shortly after returning and uh, started the search for a, a new career and a way to provide for my family. I was a case manager for people with disabilities, and that kind of opened our eyes to the foster system. Vanessa and I would talk early on about adoption, and uh, we were actually sitting here in church and heard somebody's testimony. She spoke to the exact kind of hurdle that we'd placed between ourselves and fostering, which was, we'll, we'll wait until the kids are older. In that moment, we just sort of looked at each other and we were like, we're waiting for nothing. Our goal when we started this journey was to foster to adopt a 10, 11-year-old boy. We, we couldn't put our own children through the heartache of forming those bonds and relationships with children and then them being ripped from our home. The agency had been looking for a placement for us. And then all of a sudden I started getting children and sibling groups. And I, I was like, I, I didn't request sibling groups. I don't have room for more than one child. We have one bedroom. Vanessa called me. She said, hold your judgment and just read through it. Tell me what you think. For whatever reason, it spoke to me. It just felt right. So on November 3rd, we took in Corey, Julian, and Jeremiah. On the first day, Corey said, are you my mom? And I said, yeah, 
I am your mom. And he said, are you happy? And I said, yes, I am so happy. And he said, okay, I'm gonna draw a smiley face. From that moment on, I was like, Brad, they're not going anywhere, yeah. they're ours. You know, <laughs> everything kind of seemed to be perfect. Everybody was, was happy. Three weeks after the boys came to live with us, um, I was diagnosed with cancer. It made me question our decision and question what we do from this point through it. And the thought of losing Brad in this fight um, scared the crap out of me. It, it incapacitated me to a level that I just, I did not see coming. Uh, what was going through my mind was just, I didn't want to give up on these boys and the thing that we had committed to. We can't be the next point of failure in these boys' lives. It helped with us coming together at the end of the day and thinking about those things that we can do in their future. Just got to get through this small piece of their life. Um, Having a vision of, of what the future looked like with them was, was constant motivation. Ultimately, I think it sped my recovery because I had to be involved and I had to be engaged with these three boys. In sickness and in health, in cancer, in autism, in spelling bees, in honor rolls, and in the thick of the stomach flu, I am not going to walk away. Their stories that we heard during a church service were instrumental in us making this move. I hope and pray that people seeing our story can look and say, well, if the Hamlins can do it, and through Brad's cancer, then maybe I can do it too. Take action, uh, make the move. It doesn't have to be fostering or adopting three boys. It doesn't have to be any particular thing that we've done. Involve your family. Don't, don't think that you have to do these things around your children. Do them with your children. Jeremiah Paul, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. amen. That was amen? a big smile. Amen. amen. <laughs> that, um, yeah. That is a tremendous story. It's a tremendous story, but there's two things I wanna make sure that, that you don't miss about that story today. The first thing is that Brad and Vanessa didn't come to us and say, hey, we have a tremendous story. We need to share this. Everyone in the church needs to hear this. That's, that's, that's not what happened. In fact, I'll tell you how I found out about this story. I don't know if, if, if they remember this, but I was, I was standing uh, outside uh, of our sanctuary before, uh, before our 9.30 service, the service uh, here, and uh, they were getting out of the car. And, and Brad was standing there by the door and, and more kids just kept coming out of the car. And I, and I said, how many, how, many are, how many got in there? That, that's how I found out about their story. The second thing I wanna make sure that you don't miss is that both, what both of them said, this happened because they heard somebody else's story. And I don't know, I don't know whose story that was, but that story that you just heard that tremendous story, that story happened because somebody else was willing to tell their story. So again, I want you to wrestle with this question. What will the world miss 
if you don't tell your story. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful for grace. We are grateful for the the chance to experience a life change. For the miracle that we see you doing here in this story of a man who was born blind, but also, Lord, the miracles that we know you are doing in our stories all around us each and every day. Lord, enable us to step in fully to this new life that you have given us. Give us an undivided heart that we may pursue you, follow you, live for you in every aspect of our life. And along the way, Lord, continue to give us the courage to share our stories. In Jesus' name, amen.